Are you curious about how you might have a more fulfilling work life? Well, you're not alone. In fact, the numbers show us that many of us want more fulfilling work lives. I'm Susan Mikriadon, your host. And as a finance director, ops director and leadership coach, who has lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences and perspectives. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the people side of work life and explore ways to let your uniqueness shine through by sharing insights, stories, strategies and techniques to inspire your work life. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Gemetta. Nick, you're very welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Hi Susan, thank you for having me. So Nick, as I was researching for this episode, I found myself smiling widely as I read your posts and listened to some of the interviews you've done. And that isn't just because you're dressed as Sherlock Holmes today and many other characters in other days, but your message around mental health strikes me as positive. You say that you're on a mission to prove that our potential and our happiness are not defined by or limited by our mental health. And I really like how that's phrased. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. So in 2018, my my life changed and it, it, it took a different direction that I wasn't expecting because in 2018, I shared my own story of mental ill health. It was a story that I hadn't shared for probably 15 or 16 years, mainly because I didn't really understand it. I didn't know how I felt, why I felt those feelings. But, you know, by 2018, I was ready to share that. When I shared that story, the reaction from the first people I ever ever told, which happened to be strangers rather than friends or family, it it, it opened up this purpose and this mission in my life that until that point, I didn't know existed. It was almost like it was buried deep and, you know, the, the spade hit the chest, the lid popped off and you know, I, I can't get the lid back on as hard as I try. And from that day forward, I've committed my life, I suppose, to talking about mental health, to demonstrating that just because we might struggle with our mental health, which statistically most of us will at some points in our life, you know, we have our good days and our bad days, but it makes no material difference on us. It shouldn't put us in a box. It shouldn't apply labels to us. It shouldn't make any definition of us as a human being. It shouldn't limit our happiness. It shouldn't limit our potential. And you know, from that day forward, I've achieved things that I never thought I would. If I rewind back to my teenage years when I was struggling, you know, I live with anxiety and low level depression. And I've achieved things that from the outside, you might think, well, if you're living with those things, how did you do those things? And this is the point of my message. It really doesn't matter what you're facing. Your potential remains untapped and remains an overflowing pot of awesomeness is how I, how I like to think about it. Oh, I love that. An overflowing pot of awesomeness. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. And it's really interesting, the imagery you use. It's almost I was imagining Jack in the Box. It was like something flung open and poured out of you. 
what happened, Nick, that did that? You said you talked to strangers. Yeah, so as I say, I live with anxiety for a lot of my life and I've learned over time to build coping strategies. So you know, when I was a teenager and a child growing up, I didn't label it as anxiety because I didn't know that's what it was. I just worried a lot and overthought things. But one of the many coping strategies I've built, which might sound slightly counterintuitive to some, is that I like to push myself out of my comfort zone a bit. The reason I did that is because I wanted to prove to myself and have the evidence to demonstrate that I could do more than I thought I was capable of. Some of the steps were bigger than others where I'd move into, you know, new roles that I wasn't quite sure I could do. Some were much smaller. So I decided in 2018 to take myself on a public speaking course, which is the sort of thing you do when you're a bit introverted. Um, I also have a, a stammer, a very slight stutter, which doesn't show itself that much now. When I was younger, it did. The main challenge I have now is with words that begin with the letter D, which is a real problem when you work in digital. Because you can imagine you just have to say that word a lot. So I'm constantly trying to process that. So I took myself on a speaking course and the first thing they said to us was, we'd like you to talk about a time when you've overcome adversity. And I'm quite an optimistic person generally. Pragmatic positivity is how I like to think of my approach. And my immediate reaction was, well, I'm not sure I've ever overcome adversity. My life's been quite easy. And then it was like, you know, an itch, like a lightning bolt hit me. I went back to those dark days. I went back to when I was really struggling and I thought that was pretty difficult and I've come out the back of it I'm broadly stable and thriving so let's just share it and my mouth has opened and I just started talking there was no planning at all I just opened up and I was just honest and as genuine as I could be and that's the approach I've taken ever since I just try and be genuine open transparent I try not to hide things and I think that's the power of my message and that's why it's been resonating with so many people for the last sort of two or three years that's fascinating you say that you overthought and worried a lot when you were younger and then never really thought you had dealt with adversity or overcome adversity. So even though there's been a lot of talk about mental health over the last, I don't know, maybe five to 10 years, it'd certainly be more public. Were you identifying with any of that, Nick, or was it in your radar? Not consciously, to be honest, but I think subconsciously around that time, I was seeing a few more things in the media. You know, I, I was active on LinkedIn, but I didn't, you know, I mainly use it just as a job board, if I'm totally honest. And I'd seen a few bits and pieces. So I think subconsciously I, I was hearing it and feeling it, but it literally wasn't until that day. And I, I struggled to describe it. I struggled to process why on that day that thought came to me. But you know, I'm a bit of a believer in fate and I'm a bit of a believer in, karma you know what you put out in the world you get back and I, I just think that day was my time and you know I've never looked back to be honest and I'm, I'm very grateful that you know I had that experience and that I found this purpose and mission because a lot of people don't and, and that's cool for a lot of my life I didn't but it is a hugely powerful and energizing when you do uncover that thing that makes you tick and honestly, and the energy comes out in everything I've seen you in, which is amazing. So congratulations. Thank you. And today you're sitting in front of me and I know our listeners can't see this, but you're <laughs> dressed as Sherlock Holmes. And it's like I'm interviewing a movie star because also your background has pictures. So tell us about the fancy dress, Nick. Yeah, so that was one of those um, situations, I suppose, that has come about without me planning it and as a result of me opening up about my mental health so you know after I shared that story in 2018 I took my energy into the workplace and I started to 
lobby for change and I started to be proactive and I started to take responsibility. So I set up an employee resource group to support colleagues. I started to blog and to vlog and you know, I started to suddenly build a bit of a following and a profile in the space. So because of that, when lockdown hit, you know, I was in tune with how colleagues are feeling. I was in tune with what was going on in the media. I was in tune with you know, what people were talking about on LinkedIn. So I knew that things weren't great for people. I, at the time, was like many juggling homeschool and work, which was quite difficult. And Joe Wicks sort of put out he was going to start doing P with Joe. And, and it, it was brilliant. It was amazing. I, I love I love Joe Wicks. I love his energy. I love his outlook. And so we started to, to do those daily. And then I think one Friday, he decided to wear a fancy dress just to mix it up. And because kids love fancy dress, don't they? Clearly 37-year-olds do as well. And so I wore a fancy dress to the workout. And I was sort of sweaty. And I finished the workout. And I had to come back upstairs. And I thought... I'll have a shower and get changed. And then something in me, just like, like a light bulb moment, I thought, maybe I'll keep it on. You know, work calls were becoming a bit fatigued. You know, everyone was getting bored of Zoom. I knew people were struggling. I thought, this is something I can do that's a very slight alteration, but I'm pretty confident it's going to provoke a positive reaction. And the reaction you had at, at the top of this was exactly like I get on every call. And it was exactly like that first call. I jumped on and people were smiling and laughing and asking me questions and then I started getting people reaching out after those calls because they wanted to talk to me about mental health and how they were feeling because they knew I was an advocate for it. And suddenly it became this vehicle through which I could open up more conversations. I could make the conversations less scary, but I could make people laugh. And the challenge then organically grew. I decided to raise money for charity. The costumes were gone and it just snowballed. It literally just snowballed from there. And I've, I've gone from wearing that first costume to um, wearing my hundredth costumes on the 11th of June. The last day, I'm encouraging as many people as possible to get involved. So you just wear a fancy dress costume to work. You post it online. You use the hashtag fancy dress for the number mental health. And I just want to get as many people as possible to, to just give a boost to everyone around them. Uh, and the whole experience has just been phenomenal because as, as part of this roller coaster, my story went national twice. So I got onto the Zobel Breakfast Show. That was insane. But then what became more insane was at the start of 2021, I, I was interviewed by the BBC three times in a week. So first of all, local BBC News, then Radio 5 Live picked me up and then I got the phone call. So that week I was getting loads of calls from unknown numbers and it was either going to be a sales call or the media. And I got this call and I just had a feeling that you know, this was the one I've been targeting for the last year and BBC Breakfast wanted to talk to me and the next day I was being interviewed live in front of millions of people dressed in a wetsuit in, in this very room in fact in a wetsuit oh my god that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing nick so you've got the impact in the workplace where you are that's spreading out as well to any workplace that wants to join in but also encouraging it nationwide yeah it, you know that's effect. It's, it started it's, it started just in my workplace and it it rippled to your point i mean it it rippled into my local community because in christmas 2020 i'd actually paused the fancy dress for a bit because i kind of felt like i'd done it i felt like it was a vehicle that couldn't be used anymore my wife was sick of it because just my house was piled high with costumes it was taking up all this time but with christmas 2020 i knew it was going to be a difficult christmas and i wanted to do something and I knew the fancy dress worked and I wanted it specifically to help my local community. 
know, the ripple had started, but I really wanted to zone in on people in and around my area. So I spun up the chat, the uh, costumes again, and I would fundraise specifically for Samaritans and Age UK, but supporting Hertfordshire, so Hitchin and Stevenage. And it was just amazing to hear the stories of how my money was going to be used. And I'm actually still working quite heavily with the Samaritans in Hitchin. And, you know, I think I'm probably going to be involved with them probably the rest of my life. Certainly all the time I'm living here, I do think I will work with the Samaritans in, in some way. Brilliant. Fantastic. And you said people started to open up to you with their own stories and everything, which is amazing because people felt comfortable, I guess, you know, something triggered in them, which humans respond to humans. And that's that's a lovely story. Did others in the workplace also take on your mantle? Has anyone else done something similar that you're aware of? No, I mean, certainly me wearing a fancy dress, promoting the conversations, I, I got more people reaching out to me saying, I want to be involved. How can I be involved? So that meant, you know, we had a few more wellbeing champions. I'm a trained mental health first aider, but at the time our workplace didn't necessarily support that. So you know, outside of that, some people were getting trained themselves. But I had more people reaching out to me who wanted just to help me curate events, you know, get guest speakers in, feature the topic in meetings and in huddles. So it became something that I was doing slightly on the periphery and it suddenly became a bit more embedded within the DNA because the whole point of the conversation is you shouldn't just have it once a year on Mental Health Awareness Day or Mental Health Awareness Week. It's 365 days a year and the only way you do that is embedding it in the normal rituals and routines. And I think, yes, we need to do that at large in society, so in schools, in, in the home, in friendship groups and the media but the workplace is one of the frontiers that I think there's still a lot of opportunity and you need people that are galvanized around the topic to inject momentum because otherwise it's one of those things that can be easy to go to the bottom of the, of the list and really it should be right near the top in my opinion. Oh I, I completely agree that it should be right near the top and the mental health first aid course is a fantastic resource for anyone to be able to do and bring it into the workplace. I think perhaps maybe organisations feel it's the realm of HR to look after this. And, you know, I've done a mental health first aid course myself, and it's an amazing course to do because it opens your mind to understanding mental health and awareness in a much more down-to-earth fashion than thinking it's something that happens to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. there's a stat that goes around that one in four of us will struggle with our mental health. I think the reality is it's more like three and four or four and four. I think you know, mental health first aid is one sort of strand of an overall well-being and mental health strategy because it's not the only one. Yes, it's, it's a great resource for, for people that are struggling, but I think the reason that you have to complement it with other things is firstly, I think there's too much emphasis on speaking and speaking and talking is important. But yeah, I know from my own experience, when I was really struggling, the last thing I wanted to do was talk. And the reason I could talk in 2018 was that it had been nearly two decades. So I think you know, we also need to equip others around to know both how to ask the right questions, but also how to listen. And listening is a skill that is underrated and it's something I'm working on you know there's a difference between listening to someone and actively listening to them there's a difference between 
listening and trying to give your opinion versus listening without judgment. Yeah, and though those things are, I think, things we need to be investing more in. We also need to be thinking more about your mental health first aid and these types of things tend to help when someone has got a problem. So it's nearer when they're approaching crisis. Well, how do we help people be more proactive in the first place? You know, how do we help them build coping strategies? I call it my wellbeing toolbox. How do you figure out what, what tools you put in the toolbox and when you pull the tool out? It's better to tighten a screw on the plumbing rather than waiting until the pipes burst. Yeah, it's it's about treating underlying causes as opposed to treating the symptoms, really, isn't it? And making sure that, yeah, that workplaces are, I suppose, set up so your mental health and well-being is not at risk. Which is more than listening as well, and not to undersell listening in any way, but to get rid of things like bullying and toxic management and toxic workplaces and anything that adds that stress in that people don't need in their day-to-day life. 100%. Yeah, um, I completely agree. It's a very complex, multifaceted issue, which I think is maybe why some organisations don't venture into it, because it needs time, it needs investment, it needs to be prioritised on the the agenda. Yeah ticking boxes for me is, is just not good enough that that to me doesn't show the right intention I'd rather someone was doing less but doing it with the right intention than just going through a checklist saying yeah we do all this we do all that well have you actually talked to people do they feel supported do you have a culture that empowers people to speak up do you encourage people to manage their time in an effective way that means they're not chained to their desk do you encourage people to take holidays how do your policies around performance management impact? It should pervade every aspect of the organisation because wellbeing and mental health fundamentally is just about people. And that's what it boils down to. It just becomes this complex, slightly mysterious topic and it just doesn't need to be. It's just about treating people fairly and recognising people in the round. You know, People have a life, work is one facet of that. But when they come to work, every other facet is coming with them. So therefore, encourage that and let them bring all of those things to work, be open about it and support them as and when they need that. It sounds like a utopia and it shouldn't. (laughs) That's the thing. It sounds like, oh my God, I really want to work there. Maybe it is Disneyland, (laughs) (laughs) but it shouldn't be. It should be the norm really. And I, I do think we're on the precipice of change and we have been for a while, but there's a long way to go and it isn't checklists. Agreed. And let's be honest. Just got to look at the media in terms of how often this topic is continually coming up. If there's enough evidence from mental health charities and the scientific community that makes it clear that, yeah, as the physical impacts of the pandemic start to subside on the assumption the vaccination program works as it should, the next wave of the crisis is going to be our mental health. You know, we talked earlier that. I noticed people struggling in my local community. We talked about the fact we haven't had to hug and have physical connection for 18 months. That that is going to have impacts mentally. And those impacts are not just going to are not just going to go away as soon as lockdown lifts. You know, that there's plenty of people out there that are anxious about even leaving their house. Months ago, that they weren't anxious about leaving their house. All of a sudden, you've got all of these people that are experiencing things they've never experienced before. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be some sort of reintegration anxiety as well, because I find it's almost a sensory overload when you're out and about in a lot of people because you're so used to being alone. Yeah, 
the notion for me of going back on the tube is something that I'm still wrestling with. I'm going to be doing it actually in about three weeks. I'm going to meet some friends for dinner and I'm excited about the social aspect of it, but I'm just kind of dreading how many people are going to be in a tube carriage. I'm pretty confident I'll wait for a few tubes. I'll try and find a slightly quieter one or I might walk. Get a bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because exercise is one of the other things, Nick, that is is great. And uh, being outdoors, nature, I think they are two things that help with mental health also. Yeah, I often talk about my wellbeing toolbox because I go into a lot of different contexts, organisations, charities, schools, etc. Sharing my story and sharing some of the things that have helped me. And to your point, exercise for me is as close to a magic wand as you'll get. And I suppose it's something I've discovered later in life, because when I was growing up, teenage university, you know, I had quite significant body image issues, which made it really difficult for me to think about going into the gym. It also didn't help. I was a total nerd and I was more interested in playing Dungeons and Dragons and on my PlayStation than exercising. But you know, I wish I'd uncovered the power of exercise sooner. You know, often the hardest bit about exercising is getting there and starting it once you've done it I always find I feel better you know if I have a bad day at work or remember a few months ago our the environment in the house wasn't great we had a, a few issues with our young children everyone was a bit stressed out and we all just did a, Le- a Les Mills and standing there and you know punching the air and imagining something or someone there is I mean it, it's brilliant you know the the rush of chemicals that you get as you're doing that is just incredible. And being out in nature, I think, gives gives a similar effect. And I think the important bit to recognise, though, is there's a lot of narrative out there that suggests that we should all be behaving a certain way, that we should all exercise in a certain way to the point where we're like a point, one point of collapse. I think the point of this is you pick and choose. You experiment. Some things work, some things don't. I, I view life as an experiment. I'm learning. I'm curious. You know, there are things that will work for me that won't work for you and your listeners and, and vice versa. Absolutely. And I'm a fan of yoga with Adrienne. And she's this American lady. And she always talks about find what feels good. And I think that's a great message because you find what feels good to you. And it doesn't matter what Tom across the road is doing or Mary over there. It's what works for you. Spot on. And I think the sooner we all recognise the power of us as an individual, both the way that we react to things that work, the things that don't, but also being more confident about who we are. That's another thing I I talk quite a lot about is I spent a good number of years just wearing a mask and it became quite draining when you're trying to be something you're not. And since I've taken the mask off and since I share the world, the true version of me, it's just been so empowering. That's one of the things I talk a lot to my children about is how they need to be themselves and how they are enough. And I even go to extremes. So I wear this fancy dress often on the school run and my daughter hates it because she sort of cringes with embarrassment. But I kind of feel like it's a really important lesson in just not taking yourself and these things too seriously. Because when you take yourself too seriously, when you're overly sensitive, when you can't you know, process comments from other people, I, I think that puts you in quite a difficult position. So maybe I'm a bit extreme, but I have found over time, she's now a bit less embarrassed and she just kind of shrugs her shoulder and laughs with it. And that self-deprecation for me is a really important part of being able to accept who you are. 
Oh, that's brilliant. And as you say that, it reminds me when we were kids, my dad, we'd meet him in town and he'd come running up the street with his arms outstretched. <laughs> and of course, it was absolutely cringeworthy. But I used to meet my partner on his way home from work and I would do the same. I would start running towards him on the street. And he responded that way. And I think it's amazing. Like, who cares what anyone thinks? It's 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 simple, but also really complicated and difficult. And I think comparison is another thing I've struggled with and something I'm much more comfortable with now. But you know, there's a lot of talk about the impact of social media on younger generations' mental health. I think one of the big issues it, it presents is this comparison effect. He or she is doing X, Y, and Z better than me. He or she is better looking than me, better at... And in my experience, it... It's just a waste of energy and it's just a negative cycle that you can never get out of because the reality is that they're living their life and what's the point of you living your life through, through them? You know, half these people don't even know who you are. They don't care, frankly. So I've tried to coach myself that I need to drive my energy into me. And sometimes that that is difficult. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's a walk in the park, but I think it's one of the greatest gifts that you can give yourself is, is trying to figure out how you can get comfortable with who you are and uncovering your your super strengths. And for a long time, I didn't understand what my strengths are. If I did, I ignored them. Whereas now I play into them and I lean into them and I I know what they are. And just by knowing what they are, you know, that in itself gives me inner power and inner strength that I didn't have before. You talk as well about friendship, Nick. And I think that was something that in university helped you a lot. Yeah, social connection we've sort of touched on is really important. For me, I struggled to connect, particularly with men when I was at school. I think the perception of how I looked and, you know, the kind of toxic masculinity that existed back then, you know, the definition of what it meant to be a man was someone like Vinnie Jones. And nothing against if you Vinnie Jones. He's, he's a great guy. He's achieved a hell of a lot, but that's a very binary, limiting definition. As I moved into university and as my struggles got worse, you know, I was really fortunate that I met a group of friends that were really supportive. And what they did for me is they demonstrated that I didn't have to be someone else and that actually it was all right to be me and that I would be accepted. And you know, they coached me on, on some of those things. I talked about how to be a bit more self-deprecating, how to kind of accept you're a geek, but play, play into that. Like use it as your strength rather than seeing it as your weakness and ever since that point I'm still best friends with that group you know there's marriages children we all still see a lot of each other and I think it's also given me a, a skill which a long time ago I didn't think I'd have which is networking and my network and my ability to connect and my ability to I guess connect and engage with people I've never met who might have very different life circumstances I mean I've got exponentially better and that's got me to these kind of positions you know talking to you getting on podcasts getting in the media all of that is because of the, the ability to network and I think that's another thing that everyone should take away is social connections friendship groups networks you should build them but then you should nurture them don't let those relationships fall away mm. and all of that helps you to I suppose see other people as well interact it kind of broadens your horizon because you can see that other people are struggling with things that maybe you find easy too and that sometimes can help you 
and I say you, I'm talking about me even, you know, that sometimes when you see other people have issues with something you don't see as an issue, it helps you to understand how others are and that it's, you don't have to compare. Yeah, spot on. I think understanding your strengths and also understanding other people's strengths is the key to effective communication, effective relationships, avoiding some of the conflict that can happen, you know, especially in the workplace. But that requires you to get out of your comfort zone. You're not going to meet new people by doing the things you've always done. That's the reality. And that's something else I've been grateful in myself is I always had this linear path in my head when I was growing up, you know, I'm really loving supportive parents. And, but one of the things that we've often talked about is this kind of school, college, university, job, marriage, children, like very linear. But now my life is much more squiggly. I'm happy with that. And that organized chaos, it, like I say, it leads me to all of these opportunities and experiences that had I just stuck on a linear path, not taken risks, not tried new things, I would never have discovered those things. And I do think life is too short. I don't do like that every day. Some days I think, God, this is really tough. But I try to live my life with a more optimistic view and think, well, you know, one, you know, I look back, tomorrow's gone. I can live for today and look forward to the future. So what does that future look like? Because I'm in control of it. I can't control all of it, but I can control a significant percentage of it. Squiggly, that's the best description of life that I've ever heard. <laughs> I wish I could trademark it. I, I, I really can't. There, there are some incredible people. I think it's called the What If podcast and they coined the phrase squiggly career and squiggly life. So I can't trademark it, sadly, but I love the concept. Yeah, well, thank you for introducing me because I can, it's brilliant. And, <laughs> and I, I do think society is geared towards that linear path. That's what we learn when we go to school and that's what we saw our parents had done. So it will take time to disrupt that and see that there are other ways for people. But getting outside your comfort zone and exploring what works for you is definitely part of that. Now, Nick, you also talked about how you you fought an internal battle with yourself. And I'd say that's something that a lot of people fight is this internal battle. So how how do you identify it, perhaps? And how can you do something about it? Yeah, so as I said earlier, living with anxiety, struggling with kind of mild depression, going to university, it all just got too much. I was drinking too much. You know, the alcohol was numbing my anxiety. It was, it's, it's a depressant and it was just this horrible negative cycle. And I got myself into a stage where I was experiencing suicidal thoughts for a period of time. And at the time, I, I just didn't understand it. I didn't recognise it. Or if I did, I wanted to ignore it because it was so scary. So I think one of the first things to say is getting in tune with how you're feeling and understanding yourself is the first thing. Because you, you only know if there's a problem if you're in tune with it. Yeah, I do that by journaling. I do that by tracking how I'm feeling each day. If things are going well, things aren't going so well, I try and figure out why. As I see things turning and changing, I use some of those strategies that I put in place. So I think building those strategies, once you've got the self-awareness to understand how you're feeling and why you're feeling like it, having the support network around you definitely helps. Surrounding yourself with inspiration and and reminding yourself you are good enough so i i've got this concept that of a, a wonder wall and it's got two sides the, the positive side of the wonder wall is pinning up all the things that i've achieved 
all the things that I'm proud of because any time I feel low, I'm, it will give me a beast. And on the other side of it, I've got the worry wall and the worry wall is where I pin up all the things that I'm concerned about. I want to get them out. I want to get them out in the open. It means that I can better understand them. I can let them sit and I can reflect on them. My wife can understand them. And it, it just, you know, putting it out there and getting it out of your head and making it visible, I think is just like super powerful. And when you start to wrap all of that stuff up, by and large, you should put yourself in the best possible place. But the other thing I want to add is that there will come a point at some point through life circumstances where you won't be able to cope because all of those things are in place, but they might be an unexpected shock, an event, a crisis. And I had one earlier this year. I, I wasn't well due to a work situation and I phoned the doctor. And it was the first time I phoned the doctor about how I'd be feeling mentally, but I'm so relieved I did. And I guess one of the key messages there is when you are struggling to a point where these things aren't working, I know it sounds trite, but reaching out for that support can make such a material difference and I know for many that's a really hard thing to do you don't have to find the doctor you know, the hub of hope is an app I want everyone to download because it's it's an amazing app built by chasing the stigma and it's the NHS's recognized signposting tool you plug your location and then it serves up all of the local support both in your area and nationally signpost you if, if you're in a crisis and it might be you shout where you you know and text you might phone the samaritans whatever that looks like for you there you know we're grateful to technology that you haven't got to pick up the phone you can do it anonymously you can do it when you're sat in front of the tv so that's my slightly long-winded answer of giving you a 360 view on you know, identifying it and then building your overarching strategy that you'll then tweak and refine as you go along oh brilliant what was the name of the app again nick the hub of hope the hub of hope. Oh, okay. Yeah. Amazing. I'm hoping we'll put... that Jake Mills, the, the CEO of Chasing the Stigma, will listen to this. I'll have to let him know about it. Chasing <laughs> the Stigma. No, we'll we'll mention them all in the show notes because that's amazing. I didn't know about that. But I love the Wonderwall. That's brilliant. And the Worry Wall, because sometimes it is when it's in your head, it feels bigger. And if you can share it with someone else, say it out loud you take away some of its power I suppose and also that asking for help you know there are times because things can happen slowly that you might not notice you need help and it's also maybe somebody says to you you don't seem yourself and if you hear that from a couple of different places and they mean it nicely they mean it well that maybe actually it's good to reflect on what do they mean yeah Spot on. I mean, e even in my situation, I got to a crisis, but the warning signs have been there for months. And I I kind of recognised it and a few people recognised it, but I didn't do anything about it. And I think for a lot of people, that'll pro they'll probably be able to relate to that because when it's your job, it's tied to so many important aspects of your life and you're in the middle of a pandemic, the first thought is not always maybe I should start looking, but actually on reflection, if I ever feel like that again over a sustained period, weeks or months, I would have no hesitation because getting yourself into that place is just not worth whatever you think an organisation or a role can offer you. There's always something else out there and that's definitely been true for me. Yeah, that's a great message. There's always something else out there. And so, Nick, 11th of June is the end of Dress Up. <laughs> Sadly so have you got other plans in the offing because you did say at the beginning that 
But this is awakened in you now. No matter what you try and do, you can't suppress it. So your mission is to help improve the mental health and well-being awareness and workplaces. Yeah, so obviously for the last three years, I've been doing a lot of this in addition to the day job. I'm very active on LinkedIn and I've got a following around this topic. In terms of what's next, I'm going to be moving out of my current organization very shortly and I'm taking the decision to move out of full-time employment so I'm going to become a contractor slash consultant and the reason for doing that is I want to experience new things as I said earlier push myself out of my comfort zone but it also buys me flexibility so I won't be working five days a week and I won't have the pressure to have to keep taking contracts after contracts and the reason for doing that is I'm in the process of setting up my own company and that company is going to bridge between my worlds I'm trying to merge my world so digital technology geekery passion for mental health and well-being and I'm going to hopefully start doing a few more talks I've, I've built up quite a repertoire of talks where I share my experience but also I think I've got a lot I can add around you know how organizations should craft a well-being strategy but almost more important is how you create the right culture to help people thrive so I'm still exploring all of that I'm also considering setting up a podcast and I've been wanting to do this for about three years. So maybe offline I'll be talking to you because I've actually bought all the equipment. I bought the proper recording equipment and everything, but up until now I haven't had the time. So I am now thinking, well, if I can carve out the time, then maybe I can follow you know, my passion a little bit more. I don't know whether I'll be full-time into mental health yet. And I think I want to make sure the passion stays alive. But there is a lot of investment going into the digital space within wellness. So marrying my two worlds is also something I'm thinking about. What I'm not trying to do is keep it closed book. I'm trying to just keep myself open to every opportunity because that I found in the last three years has led me down all these interesting paths. So I'm going to just carry on doing what seems to be working. Fantastic. That sounds brilliant and exciting. And I'm happy to talk to you about podcasting. I had no idea when I started mine how much I would enjoy it. And you just get to meet the most incredible people like yourself doing amazing things to help others have a more fulfilling work life. So thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And so, Nick, how does somebody connect with you? I mean, you mentioned LinkedIn. Is that the best place? LinkedIn's where I'm most active. You, you, know, you can find me on Instagram, on Twitter. Anyone who wants to know about the fancy dress, just search for Nick Jemessa Just Giving. And as I said earlier, anyone else get involved on the 11th of June. Let's see how many people join me. I'm really grateful that Just Giving are actually going to support me. So they're going to be promoting what I'm doing. I've actually got an interview later today with a new radio station that's focused exclusively on fundraisers. So fingers crossed because my ultimate aim is to try and just get this out there one last time give everyone a boost and i hope continue the narrative beyond covid brilliant amazing well nick thank you so much for your time today and for being so open and honest because i really do think the more open conversations we can have the easier it is for other people it's that ripple effect again spot on yeah I'm, I'm really really grateful you know, i hope that something i've said can help or that someone out there who's listening can relate so appreciate it brilliant and best of luck with your new career thank you very much imagine if every day you enjoy work express yourself fully and exceed expectations 
I believe we're all entitled to have this and that the future of work life will be changed by those who strive for and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and wider organisation. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone you know who is curious like you.